Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 130. The heading reads... Items of instruction given by Joseph Smith the Prophet at Ramos, Illinois, April 2, 1843. On April the 1st of 1843, Joseph Smith, Orson Hyde, William Clayton traveled from Nauvoo to Ramos, 20 miles to the east, where they spent the evening with Benjamin F. Johnson. Of the events of the next day, Joseph Smith recorded the following. Sunday the 2nd, wind northeast, snow fell several inches, but melted more or less. At 10 a.m. went to meeting, heard Elder Orson Hyde preach, comparing the sectarian preachers to crows living on carrion, as they were more fond of lies about the saints than the truth. Alluding to the coming of the Savior, he said, When he shall appear, we shall be like him, etc. He will appear on a white horse as a warrior, and maybe we shall have some of the same spirit. Our God is a warrior. It is our privilege to have the Father and Son dwelling in our hearts, etc. We dined with my sister Sophronia McCleary when I told Elder Hyde that I was going to offer some correctness corrections to his sermon this morning, he replied, they shall be thankfully received. The following were among items of instruction given by the prophet that day. Verse 1, when the Savior shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We shall see that he is a man like ourselves. When the resurrected Christ ascended into heaven, two angels stood by testifying to the twelve who were with him, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. It was a man with flesh and bones who ascended from their sight that day, one whom they had embraced and felt the warmth of his body, one with whom they had taken meat, walked, talked, and shared the sociality known to them before his death upon the cross. That which is without body parts and passions is nothing, the prophet declared. There is no other God in heaven but that God who has flesh and bones. Verse 2, And that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. John 14.23, The appearing of the Father and the Son in in that verse is a personal appearance, and the idea that the Father and the Son dwell in a man's heart is an old sectarian notion and is false. I think that was the correction that he was making to Brother um, Orson Pratt, or Orson Hyde. Uh, this verse, verse uh, John fourteen twenty three, is part of the discourse about two comforters that the Savior gave to the Meridian Twelve. Now, what is the this other comforter, asked the prophet Joseph Smith. It is no more nor less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is the sum and substance of the whole matter, that when any man obtains this last comforter, he will have the personage of Jesus Christ to attend him, or appear unto him from time to time, and even he will manifest the Father unto him, and they will take up their abode with him, and the visions of the heavens will be opened. Opened unto him, and the Lord will teach him face to face, and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And this is the state and place the ancient saints arrived at when they had such glorious vision, visions. Isaiah, Ezekiel, John upon the Isle of Patmos, St. Paul in the three heavens, and all the saints who held communion with the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Verse 4, in answer to the question, is not the reckoning of God's time, angel's time, prophet's time, and man's time according to the time, according to the planet on which they reside? 
Time is a relative measurement of duration that enables us to think and speak in terms of past, present, and future. Its meaning is subject to constant change. The period of time we measure as a year passes relatively slowly for children and quickly for adults. The same unit of time passes slowly when we are waiting, particularly when associated with anxiety, and quickly when we are busy or having an enjoyable experience. The measurement of time as known to us in our premortal estate was very different than known to us in this mortal world. Eons, as we measure time, were involved in our preparation prior to coming to this earth. Abraham told us that Kolob, the planet nearest to that upon which God resides was after the manner of the Lord, according to its times and seasons, and the revolutions thereof. That our revolution was a day unto the Lord, after his manner of reckoning, it being one thousand years, according to the time appointed unto that whereon thou standest. This is the reckoning of the Lord's time, according to the reckoning of Kolob. The present text suggests a difference in the spectrum of time between prophets and men. This would have this would have to have reference to the measurement of time as seen by a prophet when giving prophetic descriptions of future events. For instance, Joseph Smith said, Now it is called today until the coming of the Son of Man. And in 1836 he said, The great and dreadful day of the Lord is near, even at the doors. That was by uh, Joseph Feely McConkie. Verse 5, I answer, yes, but there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong or have belonged to it. It is interesting that while only those who have lived or will live upon this earth can be ministering spirits to it, some from this earth will be permitted to minister to those of other planets. The prophet said, Many have supposed that the doctrine of translation was a doctrine whereby men were taken immediately into the presence of God and into an eternal fullness, but this is a mistaken idea. The place of habitation is that of the terrestrial order, and a place prepared for such characters he held in reserve to be ministering angels unto many planets, and who as yet have not entered into so great a fullness as to those who are resurrected from the dead. We are told by the prophet Joseph Smith that there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who do belong to or have belonged to it. Hence, when messengers are sent to minister to the inhabitants of this earth, they are not strangers, but from the ranks of our kindred, friends and fellow beings and fellow servants. The ancients, the ancient prophets who died were those who came to visit their fellow creatures upon the earth. In like manner, our fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, and friends who have passed away from this earth, having been faithful and worthy to enjoy these rights and privileges, may have a mission given them to visit their relatives and friends upon earth again, bringing from the divine presence messages of love, of warning, or reproof, and instruction to those whom they had learned to love in the flesh. Verse 6, the angels do not reside on a planet like this, earth, but they reside in the presence of God on a globe like a sea of glass and fire, where all things for their glory are manifest past, present, and future, and are continually before the Lord. The place where God resides is a great Urim and Thummim. This earth, in its, in its sanctified and immortal state, will be made like unto crystal, and will be a Urim and Thummim to the inhabitants who dwell thereon, whereby all things pertaining to an inferior kingdom, or all kingdoms of a lower order, will be manifest to those who dwell on it, and this earth will be Christ's. Brigham Young said, This earth, when it becomes purified and sanctified or celestialized, will become like a sea of glass, and a person, by looking into it, can know things past, present, and to come. Though none but celestialized beings can enjoy this privilege, they will look into the earth, and the things they desire to know will be exhibited to them, the same as the, as the face is seen by looking into a mirror. 
If the people could fully understand this matter, Brigham said, they would perceive that it is perfectly reasonable and has been the law to all worlds, and this world, so benighted at present, and so lightly esteemed by infidels as observed by Brother Clements, when it becomes celestialized it will be like the sun and be prepared for the, inhab- for the habitation of the saints, and be brought back into the presence of the Father and the Son. It will not then be an opaque body as it now is, but it will be like the stars of the firmament, full of light and glory. It will be a body of light, John compared it, in its celestialized state, to a sea of glass. Verse 10, Then the white stone mentioned in Revelation 2, verse 17, will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, thereby things pertaining to a higher order of, or kingdom, or a higher, to a higher order of kingdoms will be, will be made known. The custom observed by judges in ancient times in announcing their decision as to guilt or innocence was to give the accused either a white or black stone. The white stone meant that they had been pardoned or found innocent. The black stone meant guilt and condemnation. One commentator described the white stone as the imperishable token of acquittal, like the pebble used in contemporary courts of justice in rendering a favorable verdict. So you can see some symbolism there between uh, courts and... uh, and the white stone that will be given, that means that, the, that those that enter the celestial kingdom will be innocent. Verse 11, And a white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, whereon is a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. The new name is the key word. A new name implies entrance into a new life. The one receiving it is to enter into a higher stage of existence. Ancient tradition holds that possession of the white stone reviewed or viewed as an amulet having magical powers could by use of the name written on it secure entrance into heaven one commentator notes that the power of a secret name is op- is this the power of a secret name to open closed portals and to give the user supernatural powers was widespread Verse 12, I prophesy in the name of the Lord God that the commencement of the difficulties which will come, which will cause much bloodshed previous to the coming of the Son of Man will be in South Carolina. That is not just the civil war, but that's wars that will be since then too. It, uh, verse 13, it, it may probably arise through the slave question, not necessarily slaves in America, but those in slavery in all countries. This is a voice declared. This a voice declared to me while I was praying earnestly on the subject, December twenty fifth, eighteen thirty two. I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man when I heard a voice repeat the following: Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art eighty five years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. Therefore, let this suffice and trouble me no more on this matter. I was left thus without without being able to decide whether this this coming referred to the beginning of the millennium or to some previous appearing, or whether I should die and thus see his face. I believe the the coming of the Son of Man will not be any sooner than that time. In Matthew twenty four thirty six, the Savior is recorded as saying of the time of his own return, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Recording the same expression, Mark states that neither man or angels would know, not even the Son, but only the Father. The Joseph Smith translation rendering of this text deletes the words, neither the Son, suggesting that Christ and the Father know the time of his return. That no man was to know the time of his return was affirmed for the prophet in a revelation given to him in March of 1831. Thus it appears that the prophet was knowingly asking for something for which he should not have asked. It also appears that the Lord was deliberately giving a response that the prophet could not interpret. That was by Joseph Elam McConkie. Verse 18, 
Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through the diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. It is not the knowledge obtained from textbooks that rises with us in the resurrection. The learned professor will have no advantage over the unschooled saint through his mastery of human knowledge. The intelligence that rises with us in the resurrection is equated in Scripture with light and truth. Such knowledge is obtained only by obedience and remains forever unknown to those who are impure. Those who worship at the shrine of their own intellect have chosen a rather foolish God, one who has no authority to bestow blessings in the world to come. None have articulated the principles here involved better than Jacob, who said, O that cunning plan of the evil one, O the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves, wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not. And they shall perish, but to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. To which Nephi added, Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. That intelligence that rises with us in the resurrection comes only when we forsake evil, come to the Lord, call on his name, obey his voice, and keep his commandments commandments. This same intelligence is lost through disobedience and loyalty to false traditions. Verse 30, or verse 20, there is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. I remember that that was the uh, mutual theme while I was growing up. The question is asked, what effect did our pre-mortal life have on our position and condition in this life? To which the answer is, the same effect that, that what we do in this life will have on who and what we are in the world to come. If there is a God in heaven, it can be no other way. We begin each day where we left off the previous day. The principle is immutable. We cannot begin a journey from where we are not or from where we wish we were. All journeys must begin from where we are. All that we learn is based upon what we already know. All that we can do will be the result of what we have previously done. So it is, so it was in our premortal life, so it is here, and so it will be in the world to come. That was by Joseph Hula McConkie. A lot of these quotes are from him, so just say, we'll just say it's all from him. Verse 22, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also, but the Holy Ghost has not a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. The crowning revelation of the New Testament is the fatherhood of God. In every recorded instance in which Christ addressed the God of heaven, he called him Father. He used such expressions as my Father, our Father, and the Father, but it was always Father that he, that he addressed. With the restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith comes the knowledge that in so doing, Christ was not simply using... A pleasant metaphor, as believed in historical Christianity, but rather had in mind the plain and simple meaning of the word. Our testimony to all the world is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the most literal sense. That was by President Benson. The body in which he performed his mission in the flesh was sired by that same holy being we worship as God, our eternal Father. Jesus was not the son of Joseph, nor was he begotten by the Holy Ghost. He is the son of the eternal Father. So it was that in every recorded instance in which the Father addressed the Savior in Scripture, it was as Son. Again, through the restoration of the gospel, we have come to know that what, it, what was intended in him 
What was intended in his so doing is found in the plain and simple meaning of the word. Christ is the Son of God in the same sense that we are the sons of our fathers. As we obtained tangible bodies through the process of mortal birth, so did he. And as he suffered death through the separation of the body and the spirit, so will we. And as his body and spirit were inseparably united in the resurrection, so it will, so it will be with us. Joseph Smith testified that God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. If the veil were rent today, and the, and the great God who holds this world in its orbit, and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power, was to make himself visible, I say if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all the person, image, and very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God, and received instruction from and walked, talked, and conversed with him, as one man talks and communes with another." God is an exalted man. The Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit. The Holy Ghost is a spirit man, a spirit son of God the Father. Joseph Smith taught that an everlasting covenant was made between three personages before the organization of this earth and relates to their, dispens to their dispensation of things to men on the earth. These personages are called God the First, the Creator, God the Second, the Redeemer, and God the Third, the Witness or Testator. The Holy Ghost is a personage the Holy Ghost, as a personage, does not inhabit the bodies of mortal men, but that member of the Godhead dwells in a man in the sense that his promptings, the whisperings of the Spirit, find lodgment in the human soul. When the Holy Spirit speaks to the spirit of in man, the Holy Ghost is thereby dwelling in man, for the truths that man then gives forth are those which have come from the Holy Ghost. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. Those present when the prophet made this statement affirmed that he taught that the Holy Ghost as a personage cannot enter into a man's heart. <clears throat> verse, 30, verse 23, A man may receive the Holy Ghost, and it may descend upon him and not tarry with him. Man can neither predict nor program the Spirit of the Lord. To suggest that a sequence of deeds or performances will always result in an unusual outpouring of the Spirit, or to teach that spiritual gifts may be had through following a carefully constructed list of steps may be misleading. The Lord knows best our spiritual capacity and is thus able to decide perfectly what measure of spiritual experience we should receive. Although he grants to the children of men according to their desires and their works, he does so in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. We simply cannot force spiritual things. Further, we cannot restrain the Spirit from determining the times of his comings and goings. The presentation or gift of the Holy Ghost, President Joseph F. Smith explains, simply confers upon a man the right to receive at any time when he is worthy of it and desires it the power and light of truth of the Holy Ghost, although he may often be left to his own spirit and judgment. That is to say, the Holy Ghost may be conferred upon men and he may dwell with them for a while, or he may continue to dwell with them in accordance with their worthiness, and he may depart from them at his will. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we understand the ministrations of angels, that that will help us to discern those that are true from those that are false, and that as we gain intelligence and spiritual knowledge here, that that will rise with us in the resurrection. I bear testimony that these things are true. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.